Hi, welcome to On Jordan, a podcast on the latest developments in Jordanian politics, featuring interviews with experts on the Hashemite Kingdom. My name is Aaron Magid, a former Oman-based journalist, now in Washington. Human Rights Watch has devoted significant attention in recent months on Russian war crimes in Ukraine, in addition to the Chinese crimes against humanity against the Muslim population in Xinjiang. Yet the prominent New York-based organization has not ignored the Middle East and issued a detailed September 18th report titled, Jordan, Government Crushes Civic Space. While government officials in the Hashemite Kingdom have for years publicly stressed the importance of free speech and professional unions, Human Rights Watch presents a different picture. To get a better understanding of the recent Human Rights Watch report, it is great to welcome Adam Kugel to the podcast. Adam is an Amman-based Deputy Middle East Director at Human Rights Watch. He focuses on Jordan and the GCC states. Thank you for joining us, Adam. Thank you for having me. What were the main conclusions from the Human Rights Watch report on civil society in Jordan? Well, this report really grew out of that interesting period where there was the palace intrigue in which you had, you know, basically Prince Hamza and some of uh, some of his associates get arrested and the government claimed that there was a coup. And I think what we were trying to stress at that time was the fact that not only uh, was this dangerous because of, uh, you know, potential for instability in Jordan. It was actually was a cause for alarm in terms of the human rights situation, which we believed had really greatly deteriorated uh, in recent years. Uh, now, as we were talking to stakeholders and diplomats and journalists and trying to make this point, um, it occurred that we didn't really have any hard data or research to really back up the point. And I think it should be obviously pointed out that Jordan has had a problematic human rights record for decades and decades. Um, and some of these practices aren't new. But what we wanted to do was really do a deep dive and set out what the current practices are and see if we could determine if things had gotten worse. And so we did that. And we, and we looked at Jordanian repression uh, across a number of different areas, not just arrest of, of dissidents and activists. But in addition, we looked at arbitrary practices by security authorities, pro- most prominently the, the General Intel, uh, Intelligence Director at the GID. Uh, as well as harassment and um, then government intrusion in other spheres such as, you know, banning public protests, as well as uh, injecting um, government interference into the life of professional syndicates and political parties and other bodies. So when you take all of these things together, it paints a real clear picture that the situation in Jordan has worsened in terms of human rights and that the government is more and more and more restricting the space that citizens have to express themselves on uh, uh, political issues or civic issues. Uh, and there just aren't really any independent bodies left. Has the Jordanian government responded to the Human Rights Watch report? It's actually very interesting. There has been no response uh, from the government of Jordan that I have seen uh, or that has been uh, relayed to me uh, in terms of Human Rights Watch's presence here. Sometimes we get official responses where the government will respond to the findings. Sometimes they respond directly to us through a representative. Sometimes they back channel us with, um, you know, some of their thoughts. Uh, in this case, it's been radio silence. There's been no response whatsoever. Uh, I know that uh, there was a Reuters story um, about our report the day it was issued. And the government told Reuters that they would respond later in detail. To my knowledge, that has not happened. But to clarify... Jordanian authorities allow Human Rights Watch to openly operate in the Hashemite Kingdom, right? Yes, they do. Until now, the government of Jordan has allowed us to be here and openly critical of the country. And I guess that is uh, to a certain extent to their credit. And um, it means that that the space in Jordan 
uh, for a group like us is still available when it isn't available in like Egypt or some other countries. But I think it's important to note the comparison here is a really dark and bleak one, right? So if Jordan is saying, well, at least we're better than Syria, at least we're better than Egypt or, or, or Saudi Arabia, that isn't really uh, much, of a, much of a statement. I mean, these are the worst of the worst, some of the worst of worst in the world in terms of allowing civil society and allowing public criticism. So, um, yes, we are allowed to be here till now. And we have made these uh, public criticisms. That doesn't mean that uh, our presence will always be allowed. For decades, Jordanian activists have cited cases of arbitrary arrests and harassment. So why does Human Rights Watch believe the situation has gotten much worse in recent years? Well, actually, for this particular uh, question, I mean, we, we've actually used statistics. We went through reports issued by the National Center for Human Rights, which is the, the governmental human rights agency in Jordan. And it's, uh, it's actually independent and has one of the better ratings uh, comparatively with a lot of the other countries' governmental human rights institutions. So it's, it's a relatively independent institution. It issues annual reports in which it uh, cites statistics. And in this case, we looked at the specific charges that are used to limit free expression and other basic rights. So things like, you know, Les Majeste lengthening the tongue against the king, inciting uh, sectarian strife, among others. And what we found was that the cases in 2020 actually doubled uh, compared to what they were in 2019, which gives a real sense that uh, the cases are going up. More people are being charged, right? And that's, that's of course, a result of more activists, more activism and more public criticism of the, of the state. But it's also, you know, important to note that these, that these things are being answered. Another thing that we documented um, that we think is a little bit different is the way in which the authorities are, um, in some cases, using family members as leverage, right? So you have an outside activist whose brother can't get his passport renewed and is explicitly told by the intelligence that this is because of your brother, you need to shut him up. You know, this is kind of a new tactic and, and a real concerning sign of things that might be to come. As many of the key power centers in Jordan aren't elected by the Jordanian public, whether the king, the intelligence director, or the Senate, what interest do they have in allowing for robust public criticism if this may weaken their control over Jordan? Yeah, I think some of them have no interest (laughs) in allowing public criticism because they want to maintain their control. I will say this, in terms of the, the monarchy, in terms of the king, I mean, he has openly stated that he does want a pluralistic system, that he does want real party politics and an open space. I think it's notable and something we point out in the report repeatedly is that he, for whatever reason, does feel the need every couple of years to issue mass pardons for all the people who have been arrested for criticizing him. Um, now, I don't necessarily read that as a rebuke of the security agencies who carry that, those arrests, but you know, it seems as though you know, he does feel the need to reduce uh, the tension in that regard. We can only take him at his word and, the, you know, the monarchy at its word and say that, you know, they, they, they have said that they do want there to be public criticism and, and public debate in Jordan at the very least. You know, I think the agency here that's most problematic, obviously, is the GID. And the GID is, um, you know, an agency that's essentially, uh, for the most part, unaccountable and has inserted and injected itself into the uh, institutions of the state and the life of the state and the life of citizens uh, in a way that has really choked any ability for there to be robust public discussion uh, in the country. And so I, I would doubt the political will of, of, of that institution to, al- to allow public criticism, given that their, their, their explicit aim over the last several years has been to prevent it. And I think this is, um, you know, the empowerment of the security agencies, particularly the GID in Jordan, is, 
you know, the area in which this is what has facilitated, I think, the degradation in rights. And there needs to be more effective checks and accountability on what that agency does specifically. So speaking of the intelligence directorate, since the king appoints a GID director, do you believe that King Abdullah is responsible for this crackdown? Well, actually, it's an interesting point. Um, the GID and I and I spent a lot of time looking through this over the past couple of weeks. Uh, in terms of its accountability, uh, it's 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 a totally mixed picture and and it's unclear. So the GID Director General is appointed by the king according to the Constitution and according to the GID law. The GID is supposed to receive its mission and orders from the Prime Minister, uh, and the GD, GID is accountable to the military prosecutor, the military judiciary. So there's just this weird uh, mix of individuals who are theoretically involved. And, you know, all of this is, is obviously de jure by law. What's, what's actually true and de facto is that, you know, um, the GID is the one that is the ultimate, uh, in many ways, decision maker within the Jordanian state. It's, 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 it's the shadow state. Uh, and um, it's actually not accountable to any of these groups, whatever is written on paper. So uh, getting to the spirit of your question, though, um, you know, the question of whether the king exerts authority and, and can and, or, 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 or commands the GRD, GID is kind of an open question and one that, you know, I think is in many ways the, the seminal unknown of Jordanian politics, right? We don't, we don't really have great visibility into that relationship. Uh, and whether he controls them or they control him, uh, this is this is you'll 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 meet many Jordanians, and many of them will debate this point and make different points. From anecdotal evidence I've heard over the years, I've heard both things and all things. It's just really hard to know. I, I guess what you could say is whatever checks that the king, if he really does want robust civil society and public space in Jordan, whatever checks he can put on the GID and limiting some of the abuses and limiting some of the harassment, you know, he should, you know, if he is able to push back and he is able to effectively uh, prevent some of this repression, you know, he really, he really should do so if only to realize his own agenda, right? Which is being in many ways stymied by the, the efforts of uh, the authorities, the security authorities and the GID in specific. So if civil society continues to face significant pressure by the Jordanian government, is Human Rights Watch calling for the United States to cut some of its aid to Jordan as it does with Egypt? Uh, Human Rights Watch has not called for any conditionality on aid to Jordan at this point. We only do so when we determine uh, that the abuses reach a certain threshold of uh, severity, pervasiveness, and, 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 and that they're, they're systematic. And I think you could argue some of those in the Jordan case. I think this is something we will certainly continue to evaluate as we move forward. In, many, in any case, we would never call for conditioning of economic assistance to Jordan. It would only be security and uh, uh, military if, the, if, if we could tie those abuses to the aid uh, specifically. Uh, so we haven't made this determination at this time as we have maybe with some other countries. Um, you know, but it's something that we are certainly monitoring. Um, I will say you know, there have been certain instances in which particular agencies of the police particularly have come under uh, scrutiny uh, because of incidents that have become public. Like, for example, just recently there was a death in detention in one of the prisons in Amman. And there has actually been a lot of interest in it by some of the foreign diplomats. Uh, and, and, you know, they're interested in the, the incident and seeing that there's accountability. But some of them also have domestic regulations saying they can't fund abusive agencies. And many of them do fund the police. 
uh, which, which administers the prison. So some of these, uh, while, while HRW is not calling for aid conditioning, you know, th- there would be cases where we would encourage states to apply their own rules about funding abusive agencies, if that makes sense. What topics raised by civil society are the most sensitive to the Jordanian government and likely to provoke repression? Uh, well, there's a lot of topics. I mean, you've seen in terms of the, the gag orders that have been issued in recent years, uh, preventing press reporting on certain issues. It could be almost anything. I mean, anything that provokes a great reaction or great public criticism or, 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 or frustration within Jordanian society is liable to be sort of uh, gagged. Um, most recently, there was the case of this murder of, of a woman uh, in a university uh, by a man that supposedly she had rejected that was uh, prohibited, right? It, there was a gag order issued release uh, against it. You know, many prominent cases are also gag ordered. There was an almost absurd uh, incident uh, several years ago when there were teachers, uh, when there was a crackdown on the teachers union and mass demonstrations against the crackdown. And while there was a ban on public reporting by the local media, uh, everybody could see what was happening on social media and the international media were all reporting it. Same, there's a similar dynamic on the Hamza affair of early 2021. Um, So it could be anything. I would say that the topics that tend to cause activists to get arrested are, you know, mobilization, calling for protests, criticism of public officials. Obviously, the king is an automatic arrest. Any criticism is not tolerated. Uh, you can't uh, speak openly in a critical way about religion. And anything, any, any implication of uh, corruption by a public official will immediately cause you to be arrested. So there are basically public criticism of some officials is allowed, but it but it has to be very specific. And if it verges on accusing them of corruption, uh, you, you can't do that. But yeah, I mean, and obviously uh, criticism of the military is strictly prohibited or really any sort of critical commentary on uh, what the military is doing. So look, I mean, there there are a lot of uh, areas that are red lines in Jordan. They, I think, have really grown over the years, at least in the 10 years that I've been here. And it really could just be anything, but it, mainly anything that creates public outcry. So a particularly interesting anecdote in the Human Rights Watch report was that the Jordanian government prevented a local NGO, the Community Media Network, from accepting a grant from Germany to produce a campaign about recycling. Is that typical of the Jordanian government approach? Because it seems a bit bizarre. Yeah, unfortunately, it is typical. The government since 2015 has implemented uh, increasingly severe restrictions on um, the reception of foreign uh, aid. Uh, for, or foreign funding uh, for, for, for local and international organizations operating in Jordan. So basically any organization in Jordan that wants to run a project funded by a source outside the country or even um, by one of the embassies inside the country has to get pre-approval by the authorities, discover the reason why there was a rejection. They just reject out of hand. In this case, the government was especially egregious with the community media network because they didn't even abide by the uh, the time restrictions that they have to respond to these requests. So the community uh, uh, media network made uh, the request. They waited the allotted time, which is 60 days. And, they, and that's supposed to mean it's automatically approved. So they began implementing. And then the government after that came back with a rejection. So they had to stop. Uh, so this is, you know, this is unfortunately one of the aspects of the larger crackdown. You know, the fact that the government is using its approval over foreign funding to essentially direct the work of NGOs. I mean, they are controlling what work NGOs can do because in order to get these approvals, you have to go into great detail about every project and every sentence of it has to be approved, uh, sometimes by multiple ministries. So is recycling itself a controversial topic or the fact that it came from Germany, even though Germany is a strong ally of Jordan? It's just very confusing. 
it's, it's, it's really difficult to say, uh, why the rejection came. Uh, you know, it should be noted that, um, you know, the, the head of community uh, media network is, is Daoud Kutab, who has had his own run-ins with the authorities over the years. I do not know the specific reason for this rejection, but, you know, I mean, it's not impossible that, um, you know, they could have just rejected it because of Dawood. And finally, is there any room for optimism about Jordanian civil society? Well, I think the fact that they have been able to maintain themselves and continue to push on and, and, to, and to continue in many cases to speak out is a positive sign. Like the authorities have gone to extreme lengths to limit the space that they can operate in and what they can do. But, you know, they're still here. They're still operating. And I think that that creates hope that, you know, maybe we can we can start to push back against some of this repression among, you know, just the the growing frustration by youth in the country and the, and, and the growing, I think, realization that something's going to have to change, right? That the current system uh, is not creating uh, outcomes that are meeting the needs of Jordanian society writ large, but especially for youth. And, you know, that could have, that could also lead to very negative things and negative results. But I think it, you know, it creates the possibility of, uh, you know, an opening of space in the future at some point. You know, the King's um, initiative to reform the uh, political system that was begun in 2021, I think is indicative of at least the authorities. Uh, feeling that they need to appear as though they are liberalizing. <laughs> um, whether it's actually going to cause major changes on the ground is a different story, right? And, and it may not. It may be more of a PR effort. But the fact that they feel like they need to appear to be loosening things up, I think, is positive, And we should really hold them to it. Um, and look, one of the reasons we issued our report is because we really want to we really want to affect this. We want to uh, name the problem so that the authorities are forced to respond. Hopefully, it will lead to some introspection. Hopefully, it will lead to you know, some portions of the elite, you know, pushing back against security encroachment and relegating them more to their actual mandate, you know, and, and outside the affairs of many of the ministries and issues they've, they've become involved with over the years. Um, but we have to wait and see. Thank you very much, Adam, for joining the podcast. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Aaron. That was Adam Kugel from Human Rights Watch. Here's what else you should know in the past few weeks. Over a dozen people were killed when a four-story residential building collapsed in Amman on September 13th. Prime Minister Bishr Hassouna called for an investigation. The Amman deaths came only a few months after 13 people were killed in the southern Jordanian city of Aqaba from a toxic chlorine gas leak, which was also blamed on safety concerns. In other news, King Abdullah addressed the UN General Assembly on September 20th, where he pledged Jordan's partnership in the campaign against climate change. The Hashemite monarch added, that Christianity in Jerusalem is under fire, noting that churches in Jerusalem are threatened. Before I go, please listen to previous podcasts, including Jordan's view on the Russia-Ukraine war with Professor Hassan Barari, and women's rights in the Hashemite Kingdom with Canadian Ambassador to Amman, Danica Pati. Finally, if you're interested in joining the podcast, especially if you live in Jordan, please reach out to me on Twitter, at Aaron Magid, or via email, aaron.magid1 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.